Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back to the final four is not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. Uh, we're back to preview the um, Maryland boy or Maryland uh, Terrapins at College Park. Uh, MSU coming off that big win against uh, Michigan. Um, and Rod, this is not the Maryland team that we thought maybe they could be coming into the year. Of course, Turgeon stepped down, and it doesn't look like Danny Manning's really winning over a lot of hearts at this point either there no no and that's that's to be expected i mean i think they were really struggling early anyway there were signs that that it it wasn't getting better and i think that played into mark turgeon making the decision he made in early december to step down because i think he saw the handwriting on the wall mm-hmm. that you know if, if you think you've got a team that has the capability be that talent, makeup, whatever it is, uh, to overcome a bad start, you probably don't cash in your chips when he did. I think he just saw, hey, this this probably isn't getting better. They're not responding to me anymore. I didn't assemble the roster the way I thought I had, you know, whatever it was. And, and he called it quits, which probably just saved everybody the hassle of him being fired. Uh, I mean, I, I really felt like, and I, I talked about it here and um, in other places too. For the last couple of years, I felt like he was really kind of teetering on the brink. And it, it really, the, them winning a share of the Big Ten championship in 2020, I thought might have bought him some time. You know, he finally, after a lot of really more disappointments than not, Mm-hmm. over his tenure there to finally win a, a share of the league championship uh, was a big deal. And I thought, and, and then last year, you know, you can blame him for recruiting failures, which would be legitimate, but I thought that team pretty much maxed out what they had. That was not a team coming into the season that I thought was very good. And they and they got off to a rough start, and then they made the NCAA tournament. And by March, as Michigan State fans can attest to, having lost to them twice down the stretch, mm-hmm. uh, that was a really tough team to play. Emphasis on tough. That was the other thing. It was like they had they had finally. It felt to me like after all these years, they had finally grasped as a program the the most solid path you can take to being competitive in the Big Ten which is to defend at a high level and and show some physical and mental toughness. I thought they were very tough mm. by the end of the season last year. Probably in retrospect, we should have known that something was rotten in Denmark when Daryl Morsel, who was the captain of that team and absolutely the heart and soul of it, elected to transfer. He went to Marquette. Uh, after having a four-year run in Maryland, you're like, your captain leaves? 
Yeah, that that's strange. seems strange, and it seemed strange to me at the time. He was actually a guy I was kind of hoping Michigan State would show some interest in. They didn't, um, but he, to me, was a guy who embodied the kind of things Tom Izzo loves. Mm. And he was such a key to that team last year, really coming together and finding a way to be competitive. And then he left. You know, they brought in, and we'll talk about some of these guys, they brought in a couple of very high-profile transfers, and – that had people thinking, well, th- this might be a team that's kind of on the outside or maybe capable of even getting on the inside of title contention mm-hmm. in the league. But I, even though I picked them, I think I picked them sixth. I, I remember saying my concern was that the emphasis was far too much on, well, they look like they've got more quote unquote talent this year and not enough on okay, they had an identity last year. What's their identity now? I'm not sure it exists. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I, I should have had even more faith in that assessment because I did think there could be a problem, and, and I would have picked them lower. Um, but they're, they're what are they, 3-7, and seven, I think, in the league right now? Yeah, 11-10 and 10 overall, 3-7 and seven in the league. Yeah, so they're out of it. I mean, they're not, they're not, they're not going dancing this year. They're probably not going to go to the NIT. Uh, it's it, when you watch them play, I, I would say every third or fourth game, Maryland gives you an effort that you see what they could be if everything was on track, mm-hmm. but everything's not on track and everything's probably not getting on track. So it's those occasional flashes that there's enough here to worry you. I mean, Michigan state does not have any kind of guaranteed walk over win mm-hmm. in this game. You know, it's on the road and granted, the atmosphere there is a far cry from what we're used to seeing. I mean, their attendance is awful, um, you know, and you can say, well, COVID, but <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> it. That's that's not the entirety of it or even the majority of it. So the atmosphere is bad, but still, you're on the road and you're playing a team as we're going to go through it that while they're not what people expected and they're not what their fans expect of that program – there's enough here that if they're on the right night and you're not, they they could be dangerous. So it's still a challenge. They're all challenging games for Michigan State. There, there's no more walkovers left. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I mean, if you did done nothing but watch the game against Illinois that they won, you'd think, what is? Why can't this team play like this all the time? <laughs> I I agree. And and to me, the the thing that and, and again we'll get into this in a little more detail in a minute, but. The thing that really stood out to me about that game was they played through Donta Scott and he just torched them. He torched Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself watching it, why haven't they done this all year? And then I look at Donta Scott's numbers and they're not what they should be or what I think he's capable of. Because that was a guy as I mean, I said that Morsel was the heart and soul of that team. But the guy who was a problem for people at the end of last year was Dante Scott because he Mm -hmm. was playing the five and he was a reliable enough three-point shooter. He was a threat. He's a great ball handler. I mean, he's basically a guy with wing skills but a power forward's body. Mm A little undersized, but it doesn't hurt him. He can still rebound and defend. And he's tough. And he's got ball skills. I mean, he really does have a package in that Illinois game. It was it was just amazing how thoroughly he whipped that team. Yeah, 
and they just did not have an answer. And truthfully, down the stretch last year, very few teams in the Big Ten had a good answer for him. Mm-hmm. When when he's got it going, he's a tough customer. But you know, then then I look at his numbers uh, for this preview. I'm like, well, okay, he hadn't shot it that well. I would have thought he shot it better than this. Um, so I get it. And, and this is the Illinois games an example of what I'm talking about, though. Mm-hmm. It's that every three or four games, they're going to throw something at you where you think, boy, this team should be better than they are because this is pretty impressive what I'm watching. And then they go in the tank. Yeah. It's a sign of it. This is, this is very commonly what happens to teams that just have a bad fit for whatever reason and a coach gets fired or quits or whatever it is and they're just kind of playing it out this is sometimes what it looks like every once in a while they get it together enough to show you what they could be but most of the time they show you why the things that have happened have happened Mm -hmm. yeah so overall 91st in Ken Palm um, 97th on offense 83rd on defense yeah, uh, they're 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 an equal opportunity bad team. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, on offense, it's just been a horrendous shooting year for them. Two hundred forty ninth in the country from three, two hundred twenty second from two, and yeah. then to compound that, they don't offensive rebound two hundred and ten. I I think back not that long ago, <laughs> a couple years ago. Maryland had, you know, they had guys who were uh, reliable shooters, you know, or at least threats. Um, they were usually under Turgeon, a very good offensive rebounding team. I mean, they were one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country for a few of those years in there. And it's just, we're, we're on the other end of the spectrum now. I mean, they just, they don't do any of that stuff. Well, mm-hmm. it's hard to win if you can't shoot and you can't get second chances. Yeah, their uh, turnover percentage isn't isn't all that great either. One hundred and eleven, um, right? The only that's thing... that's the thing. Like I was I was doing for the Spartan Mag board. I did a I've started again doing this weekly. You know, projecting the week to come in the Big Ten. Uh-huh. Just kind of quick hitters going over the the various games. And I was I was looking again at Wisconsin, and they won another tight one today. Barely held off Minnesota at home. So they're, they're still tied for first with Illinois, half game ahead of MSU. And you look at Wisconsin's offensive profile, and it's not all that dissimilar to Maryland's, except yeah. in one really important way. They don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. They're a little better shooting team than Maryland, but they're not good. They're well outside of the top 100, both from three and from two you know, as Maryland is. And Wisconsin's not a great offensive rebounding team either. So there's some similarities there, but one big difference is they don't turn it over. So Maryland doesn't even have that one strength that keeps a team like Wisconsin afloat because at least at least they get every opportunity they can possibly get to put up a shot, they're getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the one thing that you could say they do pretty well is get to the line. Um, yeah. 46 in the country in, in uh, free throw attempts. As a, per, uh, as, as a percentage divided of Divided by field goal attempts, yeah. yeah. And, there's, and when they get there, they're shooting just, just a hair under 75% as a team. Yeah, and that is a big deal. And it's one of the things we'll return to in the keys. You know, that is a standard 
of the Turgeon era that, and it stands to reason he recruited these guys, but uh, it's still intact with this group. If you, if I asked you to name one thought to describe what Maryland has been like stylistically since they joined the Big Ten, what would you say? Ah. Uh. I don't. I, I wouldn't even know. Well, I, I'll offer. Well, I'll offer one and see if you agree. Guards diving to the rim in attempts to draw contact. Yeah, and get, and that makes fouls. sense. Melo Trimble, Cowan did that. it. Yeah, yeah. They've they've made a habit of it, and this year's team doesn't do the other things that their previous teams used to do well, but they that's still kind of intact. Their guards, their starting guards, Russell and Ayala get to the line a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the one way that Maryland can generate some offense is is via the line. Yeah. Uh defense they do a decent job against twos, number 72 in the country. Uh against threes they're just giving up a ton of pers- of attempts uh and yeah. they're hitting them in 152 yeah. and percent against uh not a great a, re- rebounding team either, though, defensively. Yeah, it's a it's a flaw with a few teams around the Big Ten this year where you see decent performance against twos. Not that they're particularly great, but but that and normally that's that's a pretty good measure of how effective you'll be defensively. Historically, it is because that's controllable and consistent. If you're good defending twos, that normally travels game to game, whereas threes, at least in terms of percentage against, there's a little more luck involved. Mm-hmm. The problem is Maryland's really undoing that stuff by virtue of the fact they give up a lot of three-point attempts and then teams are hitting them. Mm-hmm. So that's held down their defensive effectiveness. And as you I, say, they don't cut off second chances particularly well either. Yeah. And, but they do avoid fouling. Um, yeah, 28th in, in giving up free throws to the other team. Yeah, well, if you're giving up a lot of threes, you're probably going to be less prone to foul. Mm-hmm. If you think about it that way, you know, less play around the rim means less likely. To, I mean, that's a generalization, but I think there's probably something to that. Um, nevertheless, though, the, the foul line, is the one area where if you're Danny Manning, you might hang your hat and think, okay, I, I've, I've got a shot if I can turn this into a, into a foul shooting contest because I'm going to get more chances than they will, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's hard to win that way. Uh, and they're slow paced on offense, 243rd. Um, and, and yeah, they, yeah, go ahead. Uh, they well they uh, the funny thing is teams playing against them play quite a bit faster not super super fast but quite a bit faster there's a big difference in their ranking in terms of the length of the average possession when they're on defense versus where they're on offense they're much slower when they've got the ball and and that is something that is a holdover i think i remember talking about this in previous seasons that i felt like people's perception uh, and I used to, this was also true of Arizona under Sean Miller. Uh-huh. I think people's perceptions of those programs over the years was always that they played faster than they actually did because they both tended to have a lot of quote unquote talent. 
like, you know, had NBA players, you know, had highly ranked recruits. And, and so people thought, well, okay, they've got all this talent. Of course, talent means you like to run and you play fast, but it's not always true. And it, it wasn't really true for Maryland under Turgeon. And it's not true this year either. They're just, it's just not the way that they've built that program. It would be interesting to me if whomever the next coach is that they land changes that approach at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other thing is another team that doesn't play their bench hardly at all. 320 in the country yeah. on bench minutes. Yeah, there, there's three guys who get minutes. None of them at more than like 18 or 19 a game. And that's really it. So it's another one of these, maybe not quite to the Minnesota extreme, but it's another one of these kind of Ironman teams. And, you know, when you play Michigan state that rolls nine, 10 deep, um, 10 really counting, uh, counting Mati, mm-hmm. um, that, that can be a problem in the second half of games. You know, I think, I think Michigan saw that, yeah. You know, Juwan Howard didn't want to admit it in his post-game press conference, which was funny. There were a couple things he didn't want to admit, uh, and that was one of them. It's like, what game were you watching, man? Dickinson looked <laughs> winded was, at the end of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was just dragging ass. And to his credit, he kept banging offensively, but but that's that's the thing. It's a lot easier when you're gassed to suck it up enough to play an offensive possession than it is to go out there and guard somebody. And he's bad defensively anyway, but he was really bad in that game. Mm-hmm. And part of it was that by the time you got to those last 10 minutes or so, he just didn't have any fight left in him because yeah. Michigan State wore him out. And and that is a factor for a lot of these teams, or it should be, going up against Michigan State. If Michigan State makes them work, mm-hmm. you know, if they can kind of – you know, slow the game down, keep it there, make it a, make it a low possession game. You know, Michigan state doesn't make them move enough in the half court. You know, if those things happen, then you can survive it. But if MSU plays anywhere close to the way they want to, it becomes a problem for you. If you can't go to your bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we look at the starters, right, Eric Ayala, um, six foot four senior, He's leading scores at 15.8 points a game, 40 from the floor, 36 and 66 from the line. And he's averaging 4.7 rebounds. Yeah, you know, he's – I look at it, and I've watched them play several times, and it. I was surprised his numbers are as good as they are because every time I've watched them, I felt like he wasn't doing as much as I expected him to. You know, his numbers are fine. They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, one number that's not good that's kind of been a problem is that free throw shooting because he does actually get to the line a lot. And you'd like a guard who draws a lot of fouls to be a little bit better free throw shooter than he is. He's probably leaving, you know, a point here and there on the table, mm-hmm. you know, and they can use all the points they can get. But uh, I don't know. I just, like I say, you look at those numbers and they and they look decent right they're pretty good yeah but i just don't feel like he's had the kind of year that they needed him to i mean i i think when he came in if you remember he and wiggins came in as freshmen and they both helped right away mm-hmm. and and then they they you know i always had some ups and downs as a shooter but he always looked the part of to me at least where i thought at some point well he's going to be the next guy 
Uh-huh. You know, they'd had a run of a lot of good guards, and I thought, okay, he's going to be the next guy. And you could argue maybe that his statistics say that's what he is, but I would say the fact that he has not been able to help elevate that team is maybe a suggestion that who was a Paul Conondike on the Spartan Mag board was talking about the Michigan game, and he talked about Hunter Dickinson's 25 points being a Dominique Wilkins 25, meaning that their their numbers, they count, but they're kind of hollow because the way they come, they don't lead to winning. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel that's what Ayala is this year. I feel like his 15 and change just sort of feels hollow to me. He's a good player, and he's a guy you got to worry about if you're Michigan State because he is capable of having a day where maybe he goes out and scores 25 and he carries them. I mean, he can have that kind of day. He's good enough. But I just feel like he hasn't been what they – certainly hasn't been what they needed him to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, so, and then Fats Russell, one transfer from Rhode Island, averaging 13 points uh, a game. Uh, four assists per game, which leads them, but uh, shooting 40%, 31 from three, 77 from the line. And he's below two to one assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. But he's never he, really shot all that well. I, I looked at some of the Rhode Island stuff. He, he had one good year where he was about 35%, but everything else was like in the 20s. And, and I think 30s. that was the year where he, he might have been, I think he was first team all Atlantic 10, might even been player of the year. I can't remember for sure. Mm-hmm. But because of that, he had a lot of people excited. There were a lot of people touting. Oh, this is the difference. This is what Maryland didn't have last year. Remember last year, they lost Cowan. They didn't really have a replacement. Ayala ran a lot of offense for them, and he's not really a point guard. Mm. Now they've got their point guard. But there were people, and I had not seen a lot of Fats Russell. I don't see a lot of Rhode Island. Yeah. Um, But there were people out there who were cautioning, who were saying, you know, this is a guy who's got some physical tools. He's extremely quick. When you watch him, you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's extremely quick, but he is the furthest thing from an efficient player you're going to find. Yeah. And his his ability to make the right decision, which is kind of important for a point guard, was questioned. I did, I did see people saying, hey, this is not a done deal that he comes in and is the guy that they need. Because whatever you want to say about guys like Mello Trimble and Cowan, especially Trimble, but Cowan to some extent too, I hated aesthetically watching those guys play because of the, the emphasis on drawn fouls. And, and just it was never – Maryland never played aesthetically impressive basketball to me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, those guys generally made good decisions, you know, they were, they were guys that were going to make winning plays a lot, and their team's records reflected that. You know, they, they might not have won all the championships the fans think they should have, but they won a lot of games. Mm-hmm. They won a lot of games during the Mark Turgeon era up until this year. And, and to me, Fats Russell, it's clear from now having watched him for whatever we are, a little over the halfway point maybe of the season, um, he is not a winning player. Not at this level, he's not. Mm-hmm. And, and I suspect that's one of the reasons, not the only one, but probably one of the reasons Mark Turgeon said, ah, I think I've had enough, is I think he could see, yeah, this guy isn't, this guy isn't going to make us thought. better. <laughs> he's, gonna make, he's not going to make us better. 
He's and again, he's he's got. I want to caution people. I'm not saying, oh, this is a guy who just can't play. Period. He's got enough physical tools and enough talent that on the right day, and every once in a while, he'll play well enough that he'll help Maryland. Mm-hmm. But on a game in game out consistent basis, he is not a guy who's going to play winning basketball for you as a as a point guard. He's just not. He will make plays, but he will also blow your shit up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he does get to the line a bit, though. Five uh, free throw attempts a game. Yeah. Yeah, that, that speed helps him. I mean, but again, and sometimes he's he's not exactly what I would call an under-control player either. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, he, he does draw contact, and, you know, he does shoot. As opposed to Ayala, he shoots free throws pretty well. Yeah. Uh, then they got uh, Hakeem Hart, 6'6", junior. He's averaging 9.7 points a game, 51 from the floor, 31 from three, 85 from the line. Yeah, you know, okay. But he's another one of these guys, man. And Maryland's had him for a few years. Now, Wiggins was this way until, you know, the second half of last season. He really started to figure it out. But they've had a few of these guys over the years that Just can't they, break they have a little – they have well, they, yeah, and they have a little can't break through to consistency. They have a little bit of a hot streak, which tells you all they have it in them. But then they just can't find that level of performance, game in, game out. You know, for him to be shooting thirty, thirty-one percent from three, that's that is just not what they need. You know, they needed more from him, I think, because again, this is a poor shooting team. So you've got a guy who's a capable shooter. It appears, you think, um, and he can't hit shots consistently enough for you. That's mm. a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Dante Scott, six, uh, seven junior, 12.2 points a game. He leads them with rebounding, six and a half, uh, 43, 30, and 78. So struggling from three as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, last, I didn't look up what his numbers were last year, but I know they were better than that. I want to I want to say he might have even shot like 40% from 3. He was yeah. he was good. He was effective at least. I know that. Yeah, last year um, he was uh from 3 he was 44%. There you go. Okay, so even better. So that's about a 14% gap. That's big. Yeah. So I guess I can I can attribute some of the answer to my question watching that Illinois game. Why aren't they playing through him like this all the time to that that well maybe teams are letting him shoot because he's not as dialed in this year. But I still say that is a guy who is, I'm not going to say he's the most difficult matchup in the Big Ten, but he is among them when he's got it going. Mm-hmm. He can be really, really difficult to defend because if he's hitting threes, you have to respect him as a shooter. And then if you respect him as a shooter, then you got to worry about him going by you with the dribble. I mean, he really is... Uh, good off off the bounce uh, for a kid his size and then he's got the size and strength to score at the rim too mm-hmm. to finish so there's a lot there to like he's a good rebounder i thought he was a very good defensive player last year you know he's got long arms he plays bigger than he is he played five for them essentially last year because if you remember they had no size yeah it was a weird team like they had no point guard and no size and somehow they got to the tournament and it was in part because guys like him played so well. But um, this year they have more size, so they've been able to move him back to the four. 
And, um, you know, he's, he's had these flashes like the Illinois game, but they just haven't been consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the five, they bring in uh, Cutis Wahab, 6'11", 240-pound transfer from Georgetown. Um, and he's averaging 8.6 points a game, 6.2 rebounds, 57 from the floor, 71 at the line, uh, and just under one block a game. Yeah, you know, you, you look at his numbers – you know, they, well, 57% from the floor, that's what a big man ought to give you. And he's a decent free throw shooter, too. So why isn't he doing more? Yeah. Well, uh, defensively, I don't think he's been very good at all. You know, he's not a rim protector, and I, I, I have not seen the games I've seen. I've been less than impressed with him in pick and roll. You know, sometimes the problem is, you know, he's he was coming from Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And Georgetown has not been good. For a while, they haven't been good under Patrick Ewing, and and the last couple of years of John Thompson the third, they weren't very good. So it's been a while since Georgetown has done anything. And sometimes, you know, again, I go back to like hollow numbers, uh, hollow, mm-hmm. you know, meaningless production. It's kind of what it feels like, you know. It may be this guy because again, just like with Russell, a lot of people were on this when they when he transferred to Maryland. Like, this is the guy they didn't have. This will get them back to, you remember all those years where it seemed like Maryland was running out high-quality big men. Bruno Fernando, who was so good. Yeah. Um, Stick Smith was really good. Before that, they had, um, you know, Diamond Stone. They had, they had a bunch of guys. Basically, the whole time they've been in the Big Ten up until last year, they always seemed to have at least one and sometimes a couple of really high caliber big men. Mm-hmm. And um, this year it's, you know, he's okay, but I don't think he's at the level that they were expecting. I think they thought there'd be more production and it's hard for me again, other than the fact that I, I, I see he's not very good defensively. It's hard for me to understand why he doesn't do more because some of his numbers, you know, his shooting numbers are pretty decent. Mm-hmm. He kind of got a little bit of outsized attention after last year when Georgetown made that little run through their conference tournament. Yeah, yeah. But but you look at the, the overall track record, I think you have to say, hey, mm-hmm. Georgetown has not they, – they, you know, that, what does it really mean <laughs> right. to have played – to have quote-unquote played well at Georgetown? You know, I think people sometimes get enamored of some of the stuff. Oh, big man, he played for Patrick. You know, okay. You know, I, I, he's been okay. He just hasn't been great. Uh, so then off the bench, they get uh, Julian Reese, 6'9", freshman from Baltimore. Um, you know, he's had a few signs of optimism. 5.9 points a game, 4.7 rebounds in 19 minutes, 41, 32, and 82. Yeah, I, I actually like him. I think he's got potential to be a really, really productive player in time. Now that there's some assumptions there. The good news is he's a Baltimore kid. So you would hope that that would mean he'd be interested in staying in his area, you know, being a hometown kid that he's not going to look to bolt, but you just don't know, you know, with some of these guys, are they going to hang around? It kind of depends on who the next coach is, what kind of job they do, re-recruiting these guys, et cetera. But if you assume that he will stick around, 
he's the reason, I think, for longer-term optimism in a year where they haven't had very many reasons to have that Mm -hmm. uh, because he's got potential. I mean, I think in time, Reese can be a guy that can absolutely be one of those triple threat big men. You know, he's not shooting the three great thus far, but I've seen him hit threes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's long. He's got good size. He's got some athletic burst to him. Uh, I think he's going to be a good player. The numbers aren't overwhelming, but on a team that doesn't play reserves much, he's the guy giving them the most by far off the bench. And, you know, I think it helps having him behind both uh, Wahab and, uh, and Scott, because I think he can play either spot. It at least gives him a chance to get those guys a blow uh-huh. and not just have a guy who's, who's just trying to survive out there, but someone who can actually produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ian Martinez, 6'3", sophomore transfer from Utah. He's averaging 2.5 minutes a game in 12 minutes, 28, 21, and 62. Yeah, uh, the, the shooting numbers kind of say it all. And, you know, again, they're they're going with these guys, you know, those three perimeter guys. So Hart and Ayala on the wings and Russell at the point, they're kind of iron men. Mm-hmm. And you got to have somebody who can give them a blow. And this is one of the guys, but the productivity is, is not there. And, and I, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. Like, Turgeon, the last two, three years he was there, all of a sudden had a real problem recruiting guards. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand it. Um, because he's, whatever you want to say about him, he had guys, again, I didn't love watching him play all the time, but he had guys, if you think about the careers that Trimble had and then Colin at the point, you know, these are these are guys that had productive Big Ten careers. And it's kind of hard for me to understand why, one, why he wasn't able to recruit better players, but um, then I guess the other thing is why maybe why his talent evaluation wasn't better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're in a position where they needed to go grab somebody. And so they grabbed this guy to give them some depth and it just has not gone well. Yeah. Uh, and then Xavier green, six, six senior transfer from old dominion. Um, he's just two points a game, 2.8 rebounds and 18 minutes off the bench. Um, 35 from the floor, 31 and 64 from the line. Yeah. He's mostly, you know, a veteran presence. He's a grad student. It's actually his fifth year plan. Uh, so it's that and that he can defend. That's the primary way. And, and just give them a blow at the wing spots. You know, he's capable of playing some minutes and not, not being completely outclassed, at least physically and defensively. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, there's just, not, there's just not much punch. I mean, if you add up the scoring coming off Maryland's bench, and I, and I understand with Michigan State, you've trotting out that bench points stat that they love to trot out on television is unfair at times because Michigan state with, with Malik Hall alone, but then on, you know, on certain nights, AJ Hogard, you know, you get some product. They've got guys who really play sort of a quasi starters role off their bench. And Mm -hmm. and Maryland doesn't have that, but yeah, it, that's probably a category that it's going to be another Michigan State wipeout, you would expect, because these guys just don't provide much punch. Yeah. Uh, so you look at the keys, Rod, boards. Yeah. I, once again, 
And it's, it's weird this year. I would have to go back, and I haven't done a deep dive on this, but my sense is that this might be the worst rebounding year in the Big Ten in a while. Um, we are used to, if you think about most years, you know, we're talking about all these games, previewing them, et cetera, and doing these breakdowns. It's very common that we're talking about, you know, I mentioned Maryland has had years where they were a really good offensive rebounding team. Illinois, who is this year with Coburn at least. Uh, Michigan State, obviously, is usually that. Purdue has had great rebounding teams in recent years. Minnesota's had some, like when they had Oturu and, and um, uh, some of those guys. Uh, we're not finding that very often this year. We're talking about a lot of teams that are, you know, outside the top 100 in offensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. And then some of the teams that were never good offensive rebounding teams, but were pretty good defensively, usually like Michigan, a lot of years under beeline, uh, Wisconsin had had that profile frequently. They're not what they normally are. It's a weird thing, but regardless, Maryland, according to the numbers is not a good rebounding team, but as we know, that hasn't meant that Michigan state won't have problems because Michigan state has issues of its own. After two straight pretty good performances, the issue of defensive rebounding reared its head again against Michigan. It was the only thing you could say Michigan State didn't do very well in that game. They gave up 16 offensive rebounds. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, to, a not, to not a good offensive rebounding team. So I can't say that it won't be an issue in this one. And, and that's something that, you know, you want to find a way to let an inferior team hang around and find a way to beat you. One good way to do that, especially one that can't shoot well, is keep giving them second chances mm-hmm. and and see what happens. So I think for Michigan State, it's going to be important to get back to that gang rebounding mentality they had against Wisconsin and Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I'm just looking at this aggregate stat of, of re- offensive rebounding percentage. Big Ten's 23 out of 32 conferences this year, which is not usually where they sit. They're usually no, about half, you know. That's interesting. That's a good stat. Thanks for grabbing that. So it's not just me. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's strange. And, that and, a... and you could say, well, okay, but the Big Ten better defensive rebounding is going to hold that down. Eh. But we're not even quite halfway for most teams into the Big Ten schedule. So there's still a lot of non-conference performance in that number. Mm-hmm. And and that's where you would expect the Big Ten to really make hay. Because you're going up against a lot of teams in those games that are just overmatched, physically, size well, you know, all those ways. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're still sitting where they are. It's a weird thing. And I, I don't feel it's... I have to think about it. I mean, are, are, is Minnesota and and Penn State less oriented toward trying to offensive rebound than they were under the previous coaches? Maybe. So maybe that impacts it some. But, uh, you know, there, again, there's just some teams that this one, for starters, Maryland, that you would expect to be better than they've been. I don't think it's just a stylistic shift. And it may just be partly due to uh, the Big Ten just not having deep benches like they usually do. I mean, it seems Maybe. like every team we go 
go through. There's, There's a lot of any... there are a lot more short short rotations. You're, I I would agree with that. That would be another thing. I'd be interested in to know if it's if it's more oriented that way this year than most seasons. It feels that way. Mm-hmm. But not having not having gotten into depth on that. That's a good point too. It may be. I, I would also say this. Something else that has been borne out, I think, is true. Is we've got a bunch of teams that rate really highly in limiting turnovers. We've also yeah. got some teams that are awful. It kind of feels like you're feast or famine in those in that category. You're either really great or you're really bad. And there's not a lot of teams in that you know that are like seventieth. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing that. You know, it's either your top ten or you're outside the top two hundred. <laughs> um, but uh, that could be reflective of uh, of a stylistic thing that there's more. You know, normally teams isn't always true, but often it's true. Teams that have lower turnover numbers tend to be teams that aren't great rebounding groups. Mm-hmm. That's not always true, but I think I think it goes at least offensive rebounding groups. You know, they tend to sort of go hand in hand. Um, but anyway. Uh, it's yeah. the bottom line is Michigan State's got to do a better job. Yeah, uh, and then the second key is a transition. Yeah, and they did a really, really nice job against Michigan. Michigan's a team that had had issues all year in transition defense, and they had them on Saturday. Well, Maryland's another team that I think you can get. You know, they're mm-hmm. a sloppy kind of not together bunch. And that's a team you should be able to get some opportunities against. Now, again, you got a defensive rebound that'll help, but uh, you would you would want Michigan State to be pushing one because it'll lead to easy points. But the other reason would be, as you touched on, shallow bench, and the more you can run them, the better position you're going to be in those last ten minutes to just have them out of gas, and and uh, that could be a turning point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then turnovers. Well, we you know, we say it all the time. I mean, <laughs> Maryland really, not... you marked it down here. If they could just, maybe it's just turnovers in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> that seems to have been the pattern, certainly lately, doesn't it? Yeah. That we have these 10 minutes at the start of the game where they are just uh, completely out of sorts and just terrible, unforced mistakes. And then... You know, you, you settle in and things get better as you go. And if they could ever figure out how to just avoid that terrible 10 minutes, maybe you end up with a single-digit turnover game. <laughs> uh, you know, Maryland's not great in this area either, but they're better than Michigan State. So, as is usually the case, what you really want to avoid if you're MSU is um, a big gap. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if it's if it's three... Four, okay, you can you can live with that. If it's eight, nine, ten, that's where it gets into a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth key: defend without following. You know, I I mentioned, and and I'm sorry, I don't have my keys in front of me, but this is, I believe, the best Michigan State team at avoiding putting opponents on the line. So as measured by free throw attempts divided by field goal attempts, uh, and also the percentage of overall opponent points that they're getting at the free throw line. Mm -hmm. This is the best Michigan state performance 
uh, in quite a while. I think yeah, it was only 2000. Once, yeah, only once in the last 10 years, two, 2018, they've been in the top 50. And they're in the top 50, what are they, 47th right now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that 2018 season, they finished 41st. Most of the time, they're in the hundreds. And sometimes they've even been in the 200s. And that's not going to surprise anybody who follows Michigan State basketball because there have been frustration at times about MSU you know, suffering against teams like Maryland mm-hmm. who kind of throw their guards at the rim and just play you know, fullback dive basketball to try to create contact. And sometimes Michigan State's been too willing to oblige. But this team, quietly, nobody – I don't think anybody's really talking about this. I don't see it being talked about at least, but they are playing, you know, they're right on the verge of being in the top 20 in uh, overall defensive efficiency. I think mm-hmm. they're 21st right now. So they're playing very high caliber defense and yet they're not following people. You know, that has not always been the equation for Michigan state. In fact, very rarely has it been the equation. Mm-hmm. So that sets you up well. You know, you feel good about that, I think, if you're Michigan State. But we also know that a Maryland team that is really struggling offensively, it's the one thing they can kind of hang their hats on, that they create force opponents to foul them a lot. And so that could be a key factor in this one. Can Michigan State guard these guys the way they need to and do it without putting them on the line, without bailing them out? Mm-hmm. I, I want to see Maryland's guards taking jumpers. I don't want to see them, you know, getting bailed out with a with just a dumb foul with three seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, and so then deep shooting is the other one because Maryland gives up a ton of attempts. They do, and a and a high percentage. And you know, when Michigan State look, we're I, I've been saying this for a while now, but if if you remember, there was a point that I was talking about since the Bahamas that they were shooting the three well, we're way past that. Yeah, seventh in the nation. Yeah, seventh in the nation in three-point percentage, a a tick over 39%. Now, it's not an all-time team in that respect. I mean, I could that that Denzel Valentine 2015-2016 team, I think, shot about 43% from three, led the nation, which is just a crazy number. Um. So they're not quite to that level, but this is one of the better three-point shooting teams Tom Izzo's had. And generally, Izzo teams have shot the three pretty well. Mm-hmm. I think somehow in some fans' minds, they they think that this is a, a team that hasn't shot well. That's not true. Michigan State normally shoots the three pretty well, not quite to this level. So that is a big advantage for MSU. And, and they're playing a team that has had a tendency to give up good looks, much like Michigan had. And we saw what they did against Michigan, what, 50% Mm -hmm. from three. So that should be something that plays to MSU's strength. The problem is you got to hit those shots. And even if you're a good shooting team, shooting, especially shooting from deep, is the most variable thing you can do, I think, on a basketball court game to game. Because there are days where it just doesn't fall. You get high-quality looks, and it just doesn't drop. That will happen. So 
for Michigan State to feel comfortable in this one, they've got to be able to actually take advantage of an area where it would appear that they have a real opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, because of the way these guys defend and the caliber of shooting team we know Michigan State is. I keep saying Gabe Brown is due to bust somebody with a five for seven game from three, you know, something like that. I thought he might do it on Saturday and it, it, it didn't happen. Um, you know, he played okay overall, very well defensively, but just in terms of his three point shooting, I think he was one for four. Mm. So he's been off, you know, this is a guy who I, I believe is a plus 40% kind of guy. And I think he's down around 37 or maybe even 36 and change right now. So he hasn't, I, I guess you could call it a slump. Um, you know, considering the caliber of shooter, I think he is, that's probably not unfair. But somebody is going to be on the receiving end of one of those days from him. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. And it could be in College Park on Tuesday night. We'll, we'll have to see. But he's the longer this goes, the more afraid I'd be if I were an MSU opponent that, you know, tag, you're it. Yeah. And the <laughs> longer it, it goes where Max Christie is hitting threes like he, he did against Michigan, <laughs> the more well, likely he, Brown's going to be to getting open at some point. Right, right, exactly. No, that's a really good point because what that means is what what Gabe has been facing, which is teams really game planning to take shots away from him, teams are not going to be able to afford to pay as much attention because they've got other guys, and they do have other guys. If, if they're not going to guard him, I guess there's nothing you can do. But, you know, right now, if you're playing Michigan State, you got to be worried about Max Christie because he's been rolling other mm-hmm. than the Illinois game. He's been rolling for a little while now. Um, you know, Joey Hauser has been rolling. We know Malik Hall has been good all year long Yeah, from three, you know, uh, Tyson Walker has been really good from three all year long. So they've got a bunch of guys, Jay Nakins, when he gets shots, yeah. they got a bunch of guys that can shoot. It's not just, Oh, there's these two guys. Then you don't have to worry. They got guys all over the place. I mean, two guys in the in the rotation playing, you know, twenty plus minutes a night are still above fifty percent. <laughs> yeah. That's that's tough. Now, again, neither one of them is a guy who's going to go out and likely hit you with seven shot attempts from out there. But you have to guys. You don't worry about Michigan State. Hogard is not a consistent shooter, but he has hit some shots mm-hmm. from out there. Marky is not, you know, not a guy that you worry. You probably let him take those threes if he wants to take them. And then marble. And that's, that's it. Of those nine guys that play, there's really only three that aren't shooting threats where there are six who are, mm-hmm. who are legitimate. Like, you know, and the worst shooters in that group statistically I'm guessing it's probably still Joey, but I, if that's your worst shooter, <laughs> yeah. look out. So bottom line is Michigan State's got to gotta step up and shoot. They don't shoot 50%, but they've got to be what they've been this season because mm-hmm. the opportunity should be there. And if Maryland is really doing everything they can to choke off those opportunities, then you got to find ways to make them pay by taking people off the dribble, uh, which they did a very good job of against Michigan. Yeah, um, I thought Michigan was really kind of emphasizing limiting Michigan State's perimeter sh- shots, um, and MSU did what you're supposed to do. Their guards went off the bounce and really hurt them. Mm-hmm. 
So depending upon what Maryland does, you know, Michigan State's got to make them pay. But I, I do think the season tells us Maryland's likely to give up a lot of good looks. Yeah. Okay. Well, this one's 7 o'clock uh, Tuesday on ESPN. Any final thoughts heading into this one? Uh, it's big. They're all big. They're all big for on two levels. One, obviously, if you want to contend to win the Big Ten championship, these are games that you need to get. There's only you. You know that you're not going to get every road game. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that history tells us highly unlikely, right? But one of the one of the other issues here is that while Michigan State has a bunch of home games left too, they don't really have too many that are soft touches. Yeah. You know, you got Wisconsin coming in. You got Illinois coming into the Brez. You got Purdue coming in. That's three right there that you say, oh, that's, you know. Um, Those are teams that you're, it's not just enough to say, well, we're at home. It's you're going to have to play well Mm -hmm. to win those games. So there's the possibility that, you know, they might not run the table at Breslin. We can hope so, but we have to consider that. So if that, in fact, were to happen, you got to make that up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and so that means, in part, I think you've got to get every road game that looks winnable, quote-unquote, on the schedule. And looking at the schedule right now, this is one that on paper is at the top of that list. Yeah. Maryland's three and seven. The normal home crowd, what normally makes that place a tough room to play is not there. The atmosphere is probably going to be relatively dead compared to any other time Michigan State's played there since Maryland joined the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And, and so that means you got to take advantage. So it's on that level. And then just generally, you know, I, I think, for, to me at least, while a Big Ten title would be great and, and you want every one of them you can get if it's there, if it's possible for you, but in this 14-team era where even after they've gone to the expanded schedule and added two games an hour at 20 league games, it's still so much of it rides on scheduling. I mean, yeah. it really does. And that's why I think it's part of the reason why it seems to me, at least anecdotally, I guess I'd have, I should go check and see if this is accurate, but it feels as if the scenario of co-champions is much more common now than it once was. Yeah. Does it feel that way to you? Yeah, it seems like it's always coming down to two or three teams yeah, and and we've looked. The Big Ten has always been really competitive, and there have always been really, really competitive races to win the league. It's not, rarely, you know, I'd say once out of every 10 years would you have a situation where somebody just goes and runs away and, and hides from everybody else. So the funny thing is I thought we might have one of those years because I thought Purdue had a chance to be that kind of team, and then you see how they've defended, and they've just been terrible. I mean, their their profile, I was looking at it doing this weekly preview around the league that I talked about, and their profile is really not any different substantively than Iowa's last year. They're the number one offense in the country, but they're in the 80s on defense. 
And the only reason in my mind that I'm not, you know, because I, you know, I'm sure you remember, I was completely dismissive of Iowa's Big Ten champion, dismissive of them as a threat to go to the Final Four, and sure enough, they didn't do either of those things because uh, they couldn't guard when it yeah. came down to it. But I'm not dismissive about Purdue, and I think it's bias because I believe in Matt Painter a lot more than I believe in Fran. And I just, I went and looked at it. Purdue has rarely, you got to go back to 2014 when they were awful. They were a sub 500 team overall to find a Purdue team that was anywhere nearly this bad defensively. They're usually normally pretty good. Yeah. And so in my mind, I just think, well, of course they're not that, but their profile says they are. So they, because of that, they haven't run away from the lead. You know, they're not even, you know, they're, they're a game behind the, the three teams with two losses right now. So they're not even at running out front, never mind running away from the pack. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but anyway, to get back to my point, because I think a Big Ten title is, there, there's a lot of it that really is outside of your control, whereas it didn't used to be that way. It used to be, well, you play everybody twice. And even when we expanded to 11 teams, it was still pretty close to that. Yeah. You know, all those years with Penn State as the 11th, you still felt like it scheduling wasn't a big factor. But once they added Nebraska, and then especially when Maryland and Rutgers came in, it's just, it's so hard to know where you're going to be based on schedule. And then, of course, add in the wild card of COVID. You know, you you've talked about it like that Michigan game kind of hanging out there. Is that going to matter for MSU or not? Mm -hmm. We don't know. So all that stuff together makes me and I'm a guy for whom Big Ten championships was a big deal. I think most fans of my age and older are because it used to mean everything. You know, it was so important. I don't get as focused on that anymore as opposed to. I want this team to be the best they can be in March because like it or not, fair or not, that's ultimately how you're evaluated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to look back no further than UCLA last year for that. Any UCLA fan, I think, would tell you that was a largely successful season. They were in the play-in game. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now they got to the Final Four. That's what made it successful. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You know? So... I just want Michigan State to be in the best possible shape they could be in. And so that, to me, trumps the Big Ten talk. But but at the same time, they can run in parallel with each other because if you are getting to be your best, that means you're playing well enough to probably win a lot of games and probably stay in contention. Mm-hmm. But that's ultimately the thing I really care about the most. And if you, if that's your goal... You know, where the calendar turns to February, day after tomorrow, we're recording this on Sunday night, the 30th. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta win games like this. You gotta use these, these moments to build. And, you know, I don't want to say that Saturday was easy because it's never easy, but you could say, Hey, if we can't get up for that game, and we can't play near near our our top level in some ways in that game. It ain't ever going to happen, right? Yeah. And uh, and so this is now this week going to Maryland, going to Rutgers. This is where the rubber hits the road. Can you find a way 
you know, we've had these last three games. You had Wisconsin and Illinois, two straight games where we were playing highly regarded teams. Well, that's easy to get up for. Michigan, that's your rival, easy to get up for. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into this period where it's like, well, you know, these are teams people expect you to beat, but it's not a gimme. They've got enough, especially playing at home, that if you don't come out and play your, you know, somewhere near your best, you can get beat. And so that's what I want to see. That's the important part for MSU is are they finding a way to sustain improvement? Can they get back to rebounding the ball better? Can they find a way to limit some of these turnover mistakes? And then maybe even down to some individuals, you know, can Walker and Hogard find some level of consistency? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we're riding the rapids. I mean, A.J. Hogard, it's funny. Today I'm, I'm reading online people, you know, talking about how it's clear cut. He's the best option. Like, did you see the Illinois game? <laughs> yeah. Did you see the Northwestern game? That's now the, the good news is, as, as we've talked about here, it seems other than maybe once or twice this season, one or the other steps up every game, but who that is has varied wildly. Mm-hmm. I would love to see both clicking because then Michigan state would really have something. You know, um, can uh, can Gabe get back on track with his shooting? You know, that would be a welcome thing. Uh, can Markey continue getting his wind back and get closer to being able to give him 23 minutes, 24 minutes a game rather than 16, 17, 18? Yeah, that'll matter. So these are the things I got my eye on as much as anything else. And it just so happens that accomplishing those things probably will coincide with them winning games. Okay. Well, we'll put a bow on this one and come back after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.